Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Welcome back to the peripheral. For October, we're going to do some Halloween themes and and try to make it creepy for you. On this episode, we're going to cover sleep disorders. Here in the U.S., over 70 million people suffer from sleep disorders, ranging from insomnia to sleep apnea to night terrors. I'm joined by TJ and Erica. TJ suffers from sleep paralysis. Which, if any of you have watched the documentary The Nightmare, you already know how terrifying this one can be. Erica, she suffers from night terrors. Unlike sleep paralysis, where you cannot move, night terrors, you absolutely can move around. And people that suffer from them are typically seen up, walking around, moving around, and interacting and talking to people. First up is TJ. TJ's from Tennessee, but he lives in Finland currently. He's been on the Generation Y a few times. And at the beginning, we talk a little bit about where he's living and the weird people that live up there. And then we get into his sleep paralysis. Hey, Justin. Nice picture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's uh, my Halloween costume. (laughs) I'm like, I'm calling Jason. That's right. Well, dude, oh, hey. I'm, I'm in Finland. There's nothing but a setting for a Friday the 13th film here. Anywhere you go. It's all, it's all trees, all yeah. pines. Do they have little speakers in the woods that go, Well, dude, they don't, but I've, I've had some interesting encounters in the woods, and nothing that I think was like criminal or anything like that, but you could be walking in them. And there, there's, tra- I mean, they got trails in them, and uh, they drink a lot here in Finland. And so these drunk people, they'll go walking and all this. They walk a little strange and stuff and act a little funny. <laughs> and uh, I've been in there. I've been in there with uh, my uh, girlfriend's little boy before and uh, ran into some of them. And, uh, and again, nothing criminal, but, you know, it's just a little odd. And you, know, you see these in these dark and forest a little bit. And you see some weirdo walking around, kind of stumbling around off in the distance, you know. <laughs> so it's a little little weird. Well, when you're, it's just like you and you think you're by yourself and then there's somebody else, you know, yeah. and unless they're well, walking with a smile and waving, it's going to be well, odd. Well, <laughs> one time I was in the forest, uh, just right outside the, the apartment here and uh, it's got roads all around it, but it's big enough that it's got trails through it and stuff like that. And it's got a hill. It, it goes up to, and it mounts on top of a hill and then you can come down off the hill and go off in different directions. And I was at the bottom of the, of the hill one day, walked in there, and it's kind of winter times of snow and stuff. And I looked at the top of the hill, and there's a guy up there. He had a, a a red winter coat on, and he had the hood pulled up. He couldn't see his face, and he was just standing at the top of the hill, at the top of the path, looking down at me. There he was. I mean, he was just standing at the top of the hill with his hood pulled up. He couldn't see his face. It was cloaked in shadow. It was kind of dusky out because of the long winters here. And there he was standing up there just looking at me. <laughs> you know? So 
Well, that's kind of disturbing. I know who it was. I've seen that dude many times after that, just coming up out of the forest off the side of the roads, and he's always drunk. Always drunk. So people just hang out and stare. <laughs> well, when they're drunk, they do. They act a little funny here when they're drunk. Uh, they're uh, they're a little bit different. Uh, they they just drink. You know, in America, you have uh, drinking games and you know beer pong. You know, in America, it's like a very social thing to have fun with it and games. And they they're social with it here. But what they do here, they just get together and sit down and just drink. All the like the fun and games part of it. That's they don't care anything about that. They just want to sit and drink. They'll just drink by themselves too. It's just what, whenever they can get alcohol, man. So, but uh, but yeah, you want to get into it? Yeah, or, yeah. Sorry, yeah. We, can say, we can. Yeah. So, you, you talk about the first time it happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I don't know if I can remember exactly the very first time. Uh, it uh, really didn't start for me until probably my mid twenties. I never had anything as a child or anything like that, and I don't know if it was something that subliminally started happening to me once I kind of heard about the phenomenon uh, or whatnot. But uh, when I was in my early years of college, late uh, late teens, early 20s, I was talking to some friends of mine about it. And uh, I had a friend of mine named Andrew, and he said he experienced it a few times. We was discussing maybe what it was, like the mind might be awake, but the body's not full, fully awake or, or, or things like that. You know, nothing paranormal with it or anything like that, but uh, just kind of what caused that, like your, your mind's not fully awake or your mind's awake or your body's not or vice versa. So that was really the first time I had ever really talked to anybody about it. And I'd heard about the, the old hag syndrome that the villagers and peasants of the Middle Ages would experience. And that's kind of the same thing, what, what's become known as sleep paralysis now. So what's old hag syndrome? Well, in the Middle Ages, uh, when sleep paralysis would happen to the peasants of the time, uh, th they always thought uh, it was a witch coming to them in the middle of the night and sitting on their chest and they couldn't move. And the next day they would be really tired and stuff. So they thought it was a supernatural or evil satanic presence that was doing it to them. And of course, as time has went on and we've had science and things, study things, it's, it's become known as sleep paralysis. That was really my first encounters with it at all in terms of discussion or, or anything. So a few years after talking about it with my buddy Andrew and moving to another city in Tennessee, Murfreesboro, I bought a home, a, a townhouse, and I lived by myself for, for many years there. That is when I first started to having it happen to me. It's a very strange feeling. A common symptom of it is you feel like you wake up. And in some sense, you do wake up and you just can't move. Now, that, that happens many times uh, with me. or uh, It still happens now, not as much as it used to. But you'll wake up and you, you can't move. You could even feel that you're, that you're trying with all your might to move and you can't turn around or anything. So to me, those are, for my personal experiences, those are the most mild cases is, is when you just can't move. Now, the scariest ones for me have been where I felt that there was something either in the house or in the room with me. Could uh, you see anything or you just, was it a feeling? It was a feeling. I never saw anything. Uh, that documentary, Nightmare, uh, that's on, I think it's on Netflix or it was, those people that, that, that talked in it, some of those people said they actually saw something. Now, I never personally ever saw anything from, from the experience. 
but I, I would feel uh, several, several times uh, like an entity, like standing right behind me. If I was sleeping on my side, something standing behind me looking at me, it would feel like something was looking at me. And it's odd, Justin, the way the experience feels because when it's happening to you, if you don't catch yourself realizing that you are asleep, it, it's almost the interaction is almost as real as me or you talking right now. It is it, it is that real with just a little variance. I mean, it's not as vivid as real life, of course, but it, it's one of the most vivid experiences you can have that is not real life. So uh, when you feel that, it's very disconcerting. Uh, one of the scariest ones I had was when I was in Tennessee. I fell asleep on my couch and I was downstairs. I had my back to the to the living room. And I got hit by it, and it felt as if there was something directly behind me, standing over me, looking down at me, like a like a evil presence. That was very, very scary. That was the most vivid one I had in terms of remembering like an evil force. And there was another case here in Finland I had that was very vivid, but it didn't involve like something looking at me. And we can get into that in a minute. When you feel the presence behind you or in the room, Mm-hmm. Is it like a cold draft or a motion or just a feeling of doom standing? It's there? a there's there's no temperature feeling. There's no uh, cold drafts or anything like that. It's just a feeling of evil uh, or some sort of uh, you know not a good presence. And I want to state right here, I I do not think or I, I hope it's not. And I may be kind of weird if it was, but. I'm not, I'm not trying to put a supernatural or a paranormal thing on this at all. You know, I, I think of it as a, a, a bodily reaction of being in and out of sleep, kind of a halfway point, and it's something like that. I'm not trying to say it's a supernatural thing, but I'm explaining what the feeling is like when you experience it. So I want to make that clear to your listeners right now that it's not a, I'm not trying to say it's supernatural. Yeah. But I am saying when when it happens to you, and I can understand those peasants hundreds of years ago, if this is what they felt, I can I can fully understand, especially for that time period, why they thought it was some sort of a witchcraft thing. Because it, I mean, it feels very real. It feels extremely real. There's times I felt that I was floating outside of my body. That same time when I was asleep, and I felt that presence behind me, I also felt like I floated outside of my body, and I I was able to go all the way to my door of my townhome. And opened the door, but I couldn't go outside the door. I couldn't go outside of the house itself. And I've had that feeling many times, floating outside of my body. You wake up, but it's almost like you're dreaming that you're laying there in your bed. Mm-hmm. The room is exactly the same. It might be dark, yeah. but mm-hmm. yeah. and you're trying to figure out if this is real or not. And you're struggling, and you can even panic sometimes Yes, trying yes. to fight your way into either consciousness or just to an answer. Yeah, you try to, uh, if you realize you're kind of in it, uh, sometimes like I've tried to wake myself up. And one time I, I did wake myself up and fell back asleep and went into it again. Oh. Yeah, uh, there's been times that I thought I've woken up and was out of it only to find out I was still in it. I woke up, it's like, I'm in a dream, and I wake up in the dream to realize it's still the dream. Mm-hmm. That makes it even weirder. I don't know really how to explain that unless you just experience it, but that's even kind of scarier that you think you've actually woken up and you're still in it. There's all those horror movies where the person hears a noise, they get out of bed, and then 
they go investigate and then it's a dream and they wake up and then they turn around and the skeleton's still in the bed with them or whatever and it's like they're still <laughs> in a dream but yeah it's not that blatant you're tricked into thinking you're awake and then all of a sudden the jolt isn't there's a skeleton the jolt is oh i'm still stuck <laughs> yes oh and you mentioned about if i ever felt any changes in temperature or anything like that I haven't, but uh, something that just popped in my mind here. Now, I have heard things in the house when it's happened to me. Like, it, it sounds like someone's in the house with me. I'd kind of wake up, and in the townhome, I'd be asleep upstairs, and it would sound like something walking around downstairs in the bottom part of the townhouse on me. That's happened several times, too. Just kind of motion or movement within the house. Right, like footsteps or something walking around. Nothing like windows opening or anything like that, just... Like something is moving around in the home. Wow. When you have sort of the out-of-body experience when you float, do you realize that this absolutely is a dream? Or are you kind of just into the moment and trying to investigate? Like, does it ever dawn on you that you're you're suffering from the, the paralysis at that point? When it's me floating, usually it's just... Uh, I don't think I realized it at that time. I actually tried to like float around and see where I can go. There's one time that I did float and I realized I was in it and I was trying to wake myself up. And I was like floating above my body, kind of, and floating. That was kind of one of the experiences here in Finland that was very terrifying. This happened maybe six months ago, something like that. I had fallen asleep, of course, at night in, in my bed in here. I was sleeping next to uh, Christina. I'd kind of woken up, I thought, and realized I was in the sleep paralysis mode and I couldn't move. Of course, the, the common thing. And I, I kind of realized I was, I was floating. It felt like I was floating a little bit above my body. I was trying to wake myself up and I realized I was sleeping next to Christine. I was like, okay, I'll get her to wake me up. I know I'm floating above her. I know she can hear me. I kept in my mind at the time I was thinking she could, she's going to be able to hear me to wake me up. I could feel myself floating up over her body and I had my mouth open screaming as loud as I possibly could. I was like, I know she's got to hear me. I know she's got to hear me. And Justin, it was so vivid that I was where I had my mouth open screaming so much, I could feel the spit come out of my mouth, like off my bottom lip. I could actually feel it drip off the bottom of my lip and fall to her arm and hit her on the arm. And Justin, that, it, none of that happened. That was part of it. I, and I, I could swear to you, swear to you right now that that actually was real. I, I could have swore, because I, I felt the spit so vividly drip out of my mouth mm -hmm. that I thought, I thought I was actually floating above her and screaming at her to wake me up. And then I kind of started coming out of it and realized it wasn't real at all. Now, that one was kind of very strange to me. There wasn't necessarily an evil presence or anything in that one, but that was very weird to me. The fear of you're out of your body, Mm -hmm. You're hovering. You see yourself and your girl laying next to you. Mm -hmm. And the details all match up. Like, yeah. I mean, the mind is a mighty thing of trickery. If, if your soul or essence really isn't floating up there, it absolutely is going to make you believe it is yeah. because it fills in everything. Uh, remember, uh, there was a drug called Salvia that was kind of popular back like 10 years ago, maybe 20. A friend of mine actually smoked some and mm. he was at uh, our friend's house and I 
didn't want to smoke any of it because I watched some people do it and I was like, that looks scary. And he started to stand up while he was on this and his mouth was open and he was drooling and we told him to sit down because we were afraid he was going to topple over. And we're kind of laughing because he looks ridiculous. And we, we just sort of held him there and made sure he wasn't doing anything. And about 30 seconds later, he comes to consciousness and he says, I was in this same house. Everything was dark and kind of shifted and weird sort of Tim Burton like. And he goes, none of you were in the room. You were somewhere else, but I could hear you laughing. And he's like, so I got up and I was walking around your entire house looking for you. Hmm. And he goes, and I felt something. I was like, that's kind of scary. That's, yeah. He goes, I knew there was somebody else in the house, so I had to find you quicker because if that other person found me, I thought something bad was going to happen. And with sleep paralysis, uh, weird mental state of you're unable to do anything. And then you add in that element of a predatory essence that's, coming towards you or mm -hmm. in the room then you 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 go into that fight or flight that panic mode of i need to be able to move to get away I, and i wonder if that's some sort of entrained instinctual thing from back in the day when we were you know evolving of you know that fight or flight and get away from danger kind of instinct i don't know it could be uh when uh Going back to talking uh, to my buddy Andrew back in my early college days, uh, I had another friend there, Shane, as well. And Shane is a hunter. Him and his dad would go hunting. And they said they kind of would uh, experience when they was out hunting. And Shane said his dad really says, if you ever wake up and, and feel that way, it might mean that like an instinct telling you there, there could be another hunter out there. And just if you ever wake up and feel that way, just continue to lay there, even if you do get the ability to move again. So you don't get shot. And it could be a very primal instinct that's still embedded in us from millions of years ago or something, you know, it, and it's something that's left over that functions a little bit differently now or something like that. The one time I, I did start getting worried and uh, the only time I started thinking that is there actually a little bit of something that is a little bit paranormal about it that at least made me wonder about it was uh, when I went back and talked to Andrew about having the experiences like many years later. Uh, I said, man, uh, you told me that uh, you had these experiences and stuff. He's like, yeah, a few times. I said, yeah, what about that, you know, feeling there's something in the room? And, I, and he, that's when he said, I've never felt that. He said he just couldn't move. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. That's when I got – now, I did get a little worried at th that point thinking, oh, is there something a little bit weird with me? But I still don't think it's a paranormal thing, or at least that's what I'm going to tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Just because somebody else doesn't have that extra element. I think there's actually been a few times I've woken up and couldn't move. I don't think I ever felt an entity or presence in the room. I, I just woke up and for maybe seconds, if not 30 seconds, it felt like a really long time. But when you kind of get in that panic state, every second seems a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and I, I couldn't move and I, I had to just kind of rip myself out of that situation but I had no control when I was coming out of it. I just had to keep trying until right. I was able to move. Some of the times, I don't know if I was awake or asleep because I was laying in the exact same position that I was in the dream, mm -hmm. but I never felt the presence. So when I saw that nightmare documentary and, and heard you talking about it, that that's a real thing. Not that I disbelieved it, but I just sure. had never heard anyone tell me 
Yeah. Well, First, Christina, Christina says she wouldn't have ever believed something like that either until I told her about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be hard to believe something like that if you. I mean, how, what do you say to somebody that comes to you and says, "Hey, did you uh, think anything weird was going on in the house last night? I couldn't move, waking up, and I felt there was something walking around the house and standing behind us and all." <laughs> Are you going to believe that, or are you going to? I mean, you might think there's a home intruder, maybe, but uh, you know, for some people that don't experience it or really know much about it, I can understand. Like, why would you believe believe that? You know, because it's it sounds a little weird. I mean, it sounds weird to me now telling you about it. You know, so most people will just say, "Oh, you were having a bad dream, or you're well, dreaming." <laughs> you know, we all dream every night, mm-hmm. and this is a very different kind of dream. If it is a dream, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's very scary. It's very, very scary. And I mean, we've all had nightmares, but this is very, you know, it's, it's different than a nightmare even. It's, it's more interactive and people say they can interact in their dreams and stuff. And that's true to a point sometimes, but this goes way beyond that too. I mean, it's, it's just like, it's almost like I told you earlier, it's almost as real as a real life interaction that we're having right now. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost that tangible. So it's, it's very hard sometimes to tell the difference. That's what makes them different. I always think dreams or nightmares, you know, after the shower in the morning, I'll forget them. Mm-hmm. They're gone. Yeah. But with these, not not so much. I can pretty much remember any time I've woken up, and I think it's been like two, and mm-hmm. I was uh, frozen. Yeah. And also in a nightmare or a dream, there's always that just, I don't know, it, it's something totally outlandish. Like, you know, you're up in cotton candy clouds with bunnies or you're just doing something that just does not make any sense whatsoever mm-hmm. and it's rarely a situation where you're laying in bed staring up you know very strange and, and that documentary nightmare uh i can attest uh now not any certain story in that was 100 percent like what i experienced but most of all the stories in nightmare there's bits and pieces out of every one of them that i experienced uh so I, I can sympathize with what those people went through. That one guy mentioned uh, he could talk about it, like he would try not to talk about it because if he ever mentioned it, he would experience it that night. And that's happened to me a few times. Not always, but you know, I could think about it during the day or uh, talk to it, uh, talk to somebody about it or something. And the next night, or when I went to sleep next, it would happen. And that's only happened maybe three times at the max that it's happened like that, but it can happen that way, whether it's a subliminal thing, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I guess maybe. Did yours start happening after you started talking about it? Was that? The yeah. First? My, yeah. When I first started experiencing it is after I talked to Andrew about it and it didn't happen to me until many years after that, it never happened to me in childhood or anything. Now I did wake up a few times scared to move because uh, I had seen Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, and at a drive-in theater, and I would always wake up scared that Jason was under the bed. <laughs> so, well, he's under the but, bed, uh, and and if you move, he'll hear you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in that regard, that was uh, well, that wasn't the same thing because I actually woke up and I just couldn't move okay. <laughs> out of pure fear. But no, it never uh, it never happened until after that conversation I had with my buddies in college. And it happened several years after that. It, it started happening basically when I lived alone there in Tennessee when I first moved in that townhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one, well, I got really, really sick one time, and I hadn't moved in that townhouse yet. This wasn't a sleep paralysis thing, but I had been asleep, and I kind of woke up. I thought somebody had came into my apartment. I thought my mom had showed up and came into the apartment. 
Now I could kind of move barely because I, and I, I'm attributing that because I was so sick with mm-hmm. something. I don't know what I had come down with. I didn't go to a doctor, uh, but I mean, it was so bad. I could feel pain in my teeth and I had woken up trying to raise my head. And this may have been a sleep paralysis episode because I, I was so sick. I couldn't move, but it may have been the sleep paralysis too. And I thought someone had opened the door and come into the apartment and was moving around. And I thought it was my mother had come down to check on me. Nobody there. Even when I did wake up, I couldn't get up out of bed. That may have actually been the first experience with it. I was just so sick at the time as well. I didn't know any different. So It's interesting that after people talk about it, like they, they have no idea what you're saying or no, no clue about this whole phenomenon, but after they see that documentary or after they talk to somebody that's had it, it's almost infecting it spreads. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen that with like just normal dreams. You could talk about something during the day or experience a minor thing in the day and you dream about it at night, just a normal dream. Mm-hmm. And it could be just a, uh, a same kind of concept or, or something, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's kind of infectious kind of how that works. Well, when it comes to dreams, I always think of your brain kind of like, a hard drive and a computer, you know, you run a, a check disc and a defrag on your hard drive and it takes all your files that are just spread around the disc and it realigns them and it processes them and puts them all back in order. And mm-hmm. that's what I always thought of dreams is it's just taking all that garbage you took in during the day and it's trying to make sense of it and trying to put it back in order. And sometimes it's hard to do that, and maybe it turns into a nightmare, and sometimes it's just regular dumb stuff like work, and you just dream about work and get it out of your system. To me, the sleep paralysis is more or less your your hard drive stuck, and there's something wrong, and it's not able to do anything. Registry error. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my only interpretation or theory on it you know and this is all just my own kind of bro science well that's a good that's a good analogy though (laughs) actually because it does it's like a your mind essentially is a computer in some ways you know i guess you know you have good parts of your mind and bad parts that can get stuck or whatever and it's kind of like it gets a uh like it gets stuck in during defrag mode or something so Mm -hmm. yeah and then all the weird feelings and thoughts and just perceptions are all hung up because your your body goes into a, a survival mode and, mm-hmm. and then it just interprets everything wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got that right. That's what I'm going to tell myself. Like I said, I'm not going to try to sit here and say it's paranormal or anything because if if it was or if it is, that's I'm kind of worried about what's in the room with me, <laughs> with me after all, you know, but uh, I don't uh, think it makes it any more or less terrifying, though. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, uh, it really doesn't. I, I know it's. Uh, you feel like you want to turn around and look at whatever it is that's in the room, and you can't. And uh, I've, I've read s- some other experiences about that, that people say they want to turn around and look at it, but if they do see it, it's like going to be the worst thing you see ever. But I've never seen anything, so I don't know. I, some of those people in that documentary said they actually saw some shadow people or something, mm-hmm. I think. But, I would think that you might go into shock or have a heart attack. Your brain and your body wouldn't be able to process whatever it was that you're seeing because it should not be there maybe that's what kills people and we never know because they're dead right maybe that's what ends up getting everybody is that they eventually see whatever it is that comes out of the dream world and gets them <laughs> i don't know if, the, if, if you die in your sleep maybe i don't know <laughs> okay freddy krueger <laughs> no i think that's uh 
about all I've got, Justin. Um, but I think I, I covered it, I guess. Thank you, TJ, for sharing your story with us. Next up is Erica with Night Terrors. Erica takes her situation in stride. It's not to be taken lightly, but there are some pretty humorous moments during this conversation. Hey. Well, I'm really excited to actually talk to you because I've been listening to Gen Y now for like six or seven months, and it's pretty awesome. Night terrors are something that most people are really interested in when I start talking about it, so. Yeah. I've heard of night terrors. I don't know if I've ever experienced one. What is a night terror and what what do you experience? Well, if you'd experienced one, you would know. Like, most definitely you would know that, like, if you've heard of a night terror. Sorry, let me think real quick. (laughs) Take your time. It's all good. So night terrors, um, I've gained a lot of knowledge of them in the past 11 years. So I started having them at age 21, which I think is a little late in the game. A lot of kids end up with night terrors. So I would say probably more than 50% of children have night terrors as a kid. It's usually like considered an immature thing. So it's slow wave sleep. It usually happens between the first hour and two hours of sleep. Um, So people with night terrors, they sleep differently than normal people. Normal people can go through slow wave sleep pretty easily. But um, if you have night terrors, you have issues with transitions. So when I am asleep for, let's say, an hour to two hours and I transition to REM, rapid eye movement, that transition does not go well. And depending on what night it is, and how stressed I am, how much sleep I got the night before, it could result in a night tear. So I actually started reading a book before we talked because uh, I wanted to know more, even more about night tears because most of my knowledge comes from just Googling. And I've Googled pretty much anything you can about night tears, and there's really not a lot of information about it or how to stop it. Mm. Um, there's information about like what you can do to get better rest but not exactly a lot of information on why do I have it. Yeah. So how to maybe balance or get more productive sleep and be able to transition from whatever the first phase of sleep is to REM and back out again. Right. It's not something that actually concerned me for like between 21 to like 28. I didn't really care that I had them. I guess mostly because like I didn't have like a state like a steady boyfriend, so it didn't have like a huge effect on me. It mostly affected the people who were like around me. So first time I had a night tear at home, like was when I was 21. That's when I really discovered that, oh, this is different. This has never happened before. And it was home for the summer and my dad came rushing into the room and I was like sitting on the floor and I was slamming my feet into the dresser and I was pushing onto the dresser. And in my mind, that dresser was not a dresser. It was a cruise ship. And that cruise ship was running over me. And my dad came in thinking like, okay, I'm her savior. Something is going wrong. And he came in and he expected, I think, like an assault by the screaming and the yelling that was happening in my room. And then he just finds me like curled up in a ball on the floor yelling. 
And when I'm having a night tear, it usually takes me like a minute to two minutes to come out of it and realize, okay, there is no cruise ship. I am actually not being run over. This is me asleep. I'm still asleep. What, what are some so, other examples of cruise ship is one? What Have you been eaten by a monster or... Um, I am more of a savior when I have my night terrors. I like to rescue people and save people, specifically me and whoever's in bed with me. I would like to save you. So my boyfriend, Brian, probably gets the brunt of it. We'll be sleeping and I feel like a wall is falling. I, I am like so sure this wall is falling over us and I am trying to scurry to get him to wake up hurry up, we need to move to the side of the bed, we need to go to the other side of the room, you need to hurry up. And that doesn't go over so well. He's actually been extremely patient. I've always said there's like secret words that you have to say in order to snap me out of it. And you have to say, Erica, you're having a night tear, go back to bed. Usually when those words are said, I will be like, oh, Oh, I'm having a night tear. I should go back to bed now. It's okay. Like the, it's like the safe word. For yeah, it's definitely the safe word. There's been a time or two where I've like insisted, no, no, I'm being serious. There really is something. But um, it's typically me trying to save someone. Lately, there's been ones with spiders, which I don't, I mean, I don't like spiders, but I don't have a horrible fear of them. But I will imagine that there's a spider like on a corner of the wall and it's coming down and it's about to land on me. So I'll jump out of bed, I'll turn on the lights and I'll search and I'm like, eh, maybe there isn't really a spider. And that's usually when I snap out of it. Mm -hmm. So most people don't remember their actual night, night terrors. They don't remember them. But every once in a while, if I'm caught in movement, I'll remember what's going on or have an idea about what it is. And, and typically when people dream your body becomes paralyzed. You can't move and act upon the things you're dreaming about. So you're actually jumping out of bed, moving, grabbing a hold of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm not having a dream. That's the weird part. And that's the part I still actually really don't understand. So it happens before rapid eye movement. It happens actually before dreams. I was reading a book about it and it's more like you're just capturing like random images and I don't know if it's kind of like daydreaming, but it's in such an early part of sleep that they're not dreams. I think it's very strange that it is not related to a dream because sometimes, you know, I will, I, I'm a teacher and I'll, I've been caught like trying to talk a kid down from a jungle gym in the middle of my night tear. Come down, Johnny, you're too high. No, you need to come down. And then my boyfriend has to be like, Erica, you need to wake up. Then there is no, there is no, Johnny, this is not a playground. You need to wake up. So it's it's completely unrelated to um, to to any kind of dreams and nightmares too. Well, because typically by that point, your brain has kind of shut off the the physical uh, triggers to trigger your body from from moving. So yeah, you're not in the dreamlike state because it hasn't gotten that far. Yeah. I would say the book I read, it said it's plotless imagery. It's not connected to anything. Because for a while I was afraid it was like really connected to, I don't know, I was afraid I have anxiety and that's why I have night tears. But um, the more I've been reading about it, the more that's actually not true. It's 
I'm more susceptible to night terrors just because of the way my brain works with the slow wave sleep. And so anxiety can heighten my um, night terrors. So if so, you're having a stressful day or week, something in, in real life is bothering you, it triggers it or makes it happen more often? Oh, yeah. I can. There are times when I can actually predict the nights that I'm going to have them because um, so I left a school last year because it was high stress. I was working at a school where we had had a new principal come and it became really like horrific night terrors. I went from having like one once a week or once every two weeks to having them like four or five times a week. So there's certain seasons of night terrors. So the beginning of the school year, I'll usually have more and the end of the school year, I'll usually have more because I'm busy either unpacking my room or packing, unpacking my classroom or packing it up again. So that's when I'm more stressed. And then it has caused some stress within like my own relationship as well. So like there's funny story, like I have lots of funny night terror stories, but then I have like, you know, the fact that it does really affect your relationship when you have like sleeping disorders, just the way a person who had sleep paralysis that you interviewed, mm -hmm. I'm guessing that, you know, that affects their relationships as well. You know, I'm sure most men at first would probably be like, oh, that's kind of cute or, oh, I can help her or I can protect yeah. her. But then the next day when they have a job interview that they have to get restful sleep for and you're up at three in the morning screaming or something. Yeah, I can see how all of a sudden it's it's an issue now. It's they're awake. They, they need to sleep and it's becoming a bother to them. Yeah, it didn't become a, an issue until we moved in together. So like the first two years of our relationship, we lived separately. So, you know, he got, we slept together maybe three, four nights a week. And so within that time, I might have had one night tear. Yeah. But then when we began living together, um, I was having an increase in them. And I think a, that part of it is because night tears can be spurred on by a lot of different things, um, like any kind of stimulus. Yeah. So I'm basically more susceptible to waking up during slow wave sleep. So those first two hours, I need to be completely undisturbed. So if something shakes the bed at all, if someone pulls the cover a little bit. A couple weeks ago, I had a night tear because the dryer, my boyfriend had put like clothes into the dryer. And I remember looking at him like, you probably shouldn't do that right now because that, the laundry's ready. I bet you that's going to set me off. And it totally did that night. It set me off and I was like, oh, I was totally right about that. I kind of <laughs> pat myself on the back. Sometimes I can like recognize what my triggers are. Did you guys sleep in the same bed? Um, so that's actually something that we changed recently. So I, I went to a sleep doctor and he made some suggestions after I did an, I did a, uh, what is it called? A sleep study. Mm -hmm. And I found that completely not helpful at all. Very unhelpful. It was extremely uncomfortable, like to even go to a sleep study. They give you all of this, you know, why are you up? And you have all these things all over your face. And then you have to like lay on top of like all of the wires on your back. And they're like, okay, go to sleep. This isn't really, it was just terrible. I remember I went to bed at 1130 or I attempted to. I slept a total of like two and a half, three hours. I eventually like around 4 a.m. said, okay, do you have enough information? Can I go now? 
no, you need 15 more minutes. And I played on my phone for 15 minutes. I'm like, I can't sleep here. Yeah, so you you have a sleep problem because you can't sleep with all these wires attached to your head. (laughs) Yeah, like my boyfriend even suggested, like when they do these sleep studies, they should do them like two nights in a row. The first night just to get used to all of the crap that you have to wear on your face. And they like give you this... um, this monitor for, I'm assuming some sort of vitals, probably my heart, and they stick it on your pinky or on your like finger. That's the one that annoyed me the most. All night long, I'm like, they told me I could switch fingers. I can like take it and put it on the other finger, and it's still, it just, I couldn't sleep comfortably. It was horrible. But my doctor had suggested a few things. He had suggested um, better sleep hygiene, which just makes you feel, oh, okay, so I'm like a dirty person. Thank you, apparently. I need help with my sleep hygiene. But he had made some really good suggestions, um, ones that I hadn't thought about before. So he suggested that I um, that we have separate sheets and blank like blankets. So keep the same, you know, obviously keep the same bed sheet, but we had separate blankets. So if he like, you know, you know, when someone kind of like hogs the covers, like that's my boyfriend in a nutshell, he's going to hog the covers, he's going to hog the bed. So that helped a little bit. Um, and he had suggested like not drinking any liquids for two hours before bed, which I had never really thought of, but that had actually really affected my sleep because I have like a really bad neck and back, like I've, you know, neck and back injuries. And so if I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I have trouble falling asleep again because I'm just uncomfortable. I have trouble finding positions. But about a month and a half ago, uh, I had a bad night tear two nights in a row. And he, my boyfriend said I got aggressive. So he said that I kind of scratched at him one night. And the next night I pulled his hair and he like looked really, he looked really pissed off. He, we have like a room where I put a futon and I kind of bought a futon in hopes of saying, okay, on nights when I think I'm going to have a night tear, I'll stay in here. Mm -hmm. And I just remember he like got very upset. He was really pissed. I could tell he was mad and he like took all of his stuff and went to the futon room. And I like stayed up all night Googling what to do in this type of situation. I'm a Googler. So I'm like looking up um, sleeping separate and like trying to see if like there's articles about relationships and if it's okay to sleep in separate beds and things like that. It, it absolutely is. <laughs> my, my wife and I, we, we have our own blankets and she snores very loud and I sleep on the couch a lot because I can't sleep. Actually... I shoot guns and I have ear protection that I wear at the gun range and I Mm -hmm. will wear that to bed sometimes because of her snoring. And even then I will move to the couch and she feels bad, but I tell her, no, it's don't feel bad. It's okay. Like, and we don't even cuddle or anything at night. So it's like, it doesn't matter if I'm laying next to you or if I'm laying on the couch. So I I personally, I don't think it's a problem, but I don't know. (laughs) Well, and I think that's a lesson I kind of learned that I felt like was really important in the past month and a half, two months, because I was very upset about it at first. Um, So like, I bought this futon and I was like, even after I bought it though, I never really wanted to sleep in it, probably because it's a futon. And in my head, I'm like, every time I went to the futon, I'm like the bad night terror girl and that's where you go when you're being bad. (laughs) The doghouse, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I know, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds like you kind of bought the futon sort of in anticipation of this though. Oh, I did. And I I had every intention of sleeping in it. And then I 
was like, this is really uncomfortable. And so I bought a um, mattress pad for it to try and make it more acceptable as a bed. And so I read a couple articles. And after that night, I talked to my boyfriend. I said, listen, maybe I just need to sleep on the futon. And that's what we need to do. Because if this is like the big issue in our relationship is that if, if I am the big issue where it's my sleep and this isn't something that I can easily control, then maybe that's just something I need to do. And so we both kind of agreed to it. And I was upset about it at first, but I read a bunch of articles and they had made a lot of actual really good suggestions. So they said that if you sleep separately, that you should still set aside time to like basically cuddle and talk before you go to bed. And so like before we go to bed now, he'll either come to my room or I'll go to his room and we'll spend like a few minutes cuddling and talking and saying goodnight. And we do that every, every night. And then... In the morning, like that was my big thing is I liked being able to say goodnight at night and being able to see him in the morning. Yeah. And I could still do that. It's just now at least we have our own separate beds. So. That sounds way more healthy. You probably spend more time with them doing that because you make a point to do it. Yeah. And I think there's a lot less um, resentment because I could definitely feel the resentment. There were nights where I or mornings where I knew I had a night tear because I would always say goodbye to him before I go to work. He's always like still in bed when I'm leaving for work and I would go and say goodbye and he would just like give me this look and I'm like, oh, okay, last night wasn't a good night. But um, I also did discover something kind of interesting about how to keep track of my night tears though. Fitbit. Do you have a Fitbit? I don't, but I know what it is. <laughs> so you can wear it to sleep and it can keep track of um, your movement while you're asleep. And it's actually an interesting way to see, okay, I think I had a night tear. Let me look. And I can make, I can actually see like patterns of when I have night tears. So I have night tears typically within an hour and 20, an hour and 30 minutes after I go to bed. Mm-hmm. And that's um, cool that you can see that. <laughs> yeah. Like I can visually see... So it usually has like a blue screen. And then if you have like a night tear, you like a little, well, sorry, if you have like any kind of small movements, you'll see like a light blue line. And then if you have like a lot of ridiculous movements, like you're actually moving around, getting up, you'll see a red line. So night tears where I see like a lot of red and red and blue lines, I know like stuff's going down. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm on medication right now. I was off of it, but now I just recently in the past week started again after reading some of that book. So I do take some medication for night terrors. Would you mind saying what what medication you take? Yeah. um, I don't know how to pronounce it. I like to say it's clonazepam, but I know I'm I'm saying it wrong. (laughs) There's like a fancier way to say it. It's a generic version of clonopin. Okay. So I've been taking it on and off for, I'd say, like the past maybe three years. So, and I'm not a huge fan of being on medication. However, I'm kind of a medicated person. So I have ADHD. So I basically have uppers now and I have downers. And sadly, the uppers will, you know, you have to take those first thing in the morning because they can totally interrupt your sleep pattern if you take them later in the day and... Yeah. And like the sleep doctor I went to recently had made a really good suggestion that I actually took him up on. For a while, I was taking um, like Adderall extended release. And since then, I've since I saw him, he suggested that I take instant release because it leaves your system within about four hours, four to five hours. Good call. So extended release can stay in your 
bloodstream for I think like as much as nine or ten hours. Yeah. I think that might have improved things. Have you but, had you tried simple things like uh, valerian root or melatonin or or even Lanesta or Ambien? Oh God, Ambien! That's scary. I'm not touching that. <laughs> I, I'm just say that just because I hear about people doing crazy things on Ambien. I'm doing crazy stuff without being on Ambien whatsoever. You might not need it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Like I have some, I have some pretty creepy stories that could probably go up there with Ambien. So I'm going to say no to that. Um, and I know melatonin. I've always been nervous about melatonin because I've heard that it can. When you take melatonin, it eventually it decreases how much melatonin you produce yourself. Huh. So you might end up being more and more um, reliant on it. I did not don't, know that. Don't quote me on that, but <laughs> I, from what I've heard, that's what I, I think that's what I've heard about melatonin. So I've always kind of stayed away from it. I've tried things like sleepy time tea. My problem isn't um, falling asleep. It's staying at a good amount of sleep where I'm not too tired mm -hmm. because that's when I have issues. So with night terrors, it's brought on by sleep deprivation, anxiety, stress, all of that stuff. So let's say last night I didn't sleep but two hours. That's totally fine. I'm not going to have a night tear the night I only slept two hours. The night after, I will hit a really deep sleep right when I go to bed and I'll have a night tear like right away, probably even before an hour. Basically, it, the hard part is, is that with night terrors, you have to be basically a very consistent sleeper. You have to go to bed at the same time every night, wake up at the same time every day, don't have too many uppers, don't have too much caffeine, and no one's perfect. That's kind of my big issue with it, is that it's kind of unpredictable. Those are just ideas I, I, that come to me whenever somebody has problems sleeping, but you don't really have a problem sleeping. You have a problem getting to REM you have that you know it's totally different issue so I yeah but the the people who I think suffer the most because I mean I do I do suffer sometimes from like if I don't get a good night's sleep that is an issue but the people around me that's the people who it really does affect my best friend has seen I mean dozens of night terrors and she she can tell you stories but her tolerance is also very different too. So like I can have a night tear and she recovers, goes back to bed and it's like no big deal. But when I have just a small episode where I'll kind of have like a kind of like I'll startle, which I think I do a lot actually is where, you know, you just go, <gasps> yeah. like, I think that actually affects my boyfriend way more. My best friend, Ashley, she's like, oh, no big deal. Went back to bed. I'm like, oh, okay. Because that's more of a jolt to him. And he thinks yeah. his instinct is something's wrong. I need to help. And his adrenaline goes into full bore. And then for him to get back to sleep probably takes a lot longer. Um, I know if I wake up in the middle of the night and my wife's snoring, I cannot get back to sleep. I That's when I move to the couch because I'm a light sleeper and there's noise, there's light, whatever. I cannot get back to sleep. So I can kind of see how a jolt, you know, like that could keep him awake for a while if he can't get back to sleep very quick. He does. He has said that when I have night terrors that it does really affect him. He said that seeing me that upset and that worried really does upset him because he yeah. wants to fix it, but you, you, you can't fix it. And there are times where like I am, I'll even say like, 
I'm having a night terror. I'm like, Brian, feel my heart. Like it was because be it's beating so fast. Mm -hmm. Like it kind of concerns me a little bit too that like I can get myself that worked up. Like I hope that they decrease over time the severity because it is kind of scary. And I don't want to have heart attack when I'm 80 from something silly <laughs> like, oh, there's a spider on the wall. That's not really there. In real life, when a stressful situation happens abruptly, do you get as stressed out? For instance, I was in a car wreck, and the entire time I was in the car wreck, I was like, oh, we're going to hit the wall. It's going to happen. We're sliding in the ice. And I was kind of okay with it, and even, when, even during impact. But yeah. if I have a nightmare or a dream of some impending doom, I feel it a lot, and I wake up, and I'm freaked out for a little while before I can kind of compute what's going on. But in real life, these things don't bother me as much. So do you think that your heart is beating fast because you're trying to figure out why a cruise ship is running over you and that's out of the norm? Or, or are you just naturally bothered by things in reality too? Uh, I think it's the first. I think it's I'm like freaked out. There's this cruise ship. I think that I do. I hold my stress in. And I think that's when I why like when I go to sleep, I let out the crazy part of me thinks that might be part of it. Because I'm definitely someone where when I'm in a very stressful situation, I can like feel everything in my stomach kind of cramp up and it feels like I can't breathe like deeply. Mm -hmm. I'm not a deep breather. So if I have a really stressful day at school, there's times where I'm on my drive home and all of a sudden I'm like, <sighs> like I haven't taken deep breaths in all day long. So I think I do kind of hold in my stress mm -hmm. and I think that at night I'm kind of maybe in a way releasing it maybe. Yeah. Not that I'm even trying to troubleshoot your problem here, but <laughs> have you ever gotten massage or go on oh. long, long walks things to help release the stress? Oh yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely have things that I try to do to help with the stress. And like recently I've been trying to just read before going to bed instead mm -hmm. of looking at my Facebook. Cause I feel like I'll sit there with my phone and I'll play games and that will keep me up later, which will make things worse. I'll like read a news story about Donald Trump and I'll see all of the comments. <laughs> and then I just like my mind explodes and I, I just, I can't, I feel like I've been trying to do things that will de-stress before I go to bed because that's pretty helpful. It's a good idea. Um, I've had doctors recommend things like they've recommended like taking sleepy time tea and doing calming and soothing things before bed. And I do follow like rules about the bedroom. Like you're only supposed to have sex in the bedroom and go to sleep in the bedroom. That's it. There's a pretty much every like doctor that sleep doctor I've gone to is suggested. You have to make sure there's no TV in the room. It's just for sleep. So I've heard that. And I think it, there is some truth to it. Not that if you want to have your love life all over the house, it's going to really matter. But, <laughs> but as far as the bedroom being for sleep and relaxation, I absolutely agree with that. I, like you, found myself on my phone all the time right before bed. I feel like I'm actually numbly stimulating myself to not sleep, you know? Yeah. Um, I say, do you need any like good night terror stories? Cause I have at least one or two of those. Sure. I, I liked the cruise ship, but. <laughs> oh, I have so much better than the cruise ship. <laughs> I say the first summer I started having them, I went on a road trip with my best friend, Ashley. And, um, we were coming home from Cincinnati and we stopped at this little hotel and went to bed. Everything's normal. And then I remember waking up at like three in the morning and looking at her 
And I'm like, why is she watching TV right now? What is she doing? This is really strange. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go back to bed. I'm good with it. And I wake up in the morning and she looks at me and she actually said something about it not being cute. She looked at me and she goes, yeah, your night tears, they're not cute. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you just told me last night there's a little black girl. I'm sorry. What are you talking about? So apparently I was asleep and in the middle of the night I started talking and Ashley decided, okay, I'm going to play along. And she goes, hey, and I said, goodbye. And she goes, Erica, who are you saying goodbye to? And I said, oh, I'm not saying goodbye. I'm saying hello to the little black girl. She goes, what little black girl? Oh, the one in the corner. She just left. And apparently that terrified her. That's why she put on TV. Because I went right back to bed, like acted like nothing happened. And she told me that she um, contemplated sleeping in her car, but she decided not to since the little black girl did leave. So we, we like started looking, I started looking stuff up to see if I'm actually like seeing ghosts. I'm like, okay, let's see. I'm like looking up the hotel name and like black child and seeing if anyone has died at this hotel in this room. Nothing was found. Yeah. It's, it's just your night terror. And my best friend definitely gets the fun ones. And, and, And it's sad because between your boyfriend, your friends, your family, sure. It's bothersome, but at the same time, it's not your fault. It's like, it's not my wife's fault. She snores. She can't help it. Sometimes I am frustrated. I am upset, but misdirected hostility is absolutely a thing. But at the same time, I don't ever try to make her feel bad. When she comes out in the morning and sees me on the couch and she starts to apologize, I'm like, what are you apologizing for? There's nothing to apologize for, you know? Yeah. I think with like my boyfriend, I think that there was definitely me saying sorry and him saying it's okay. And eventually I had to like say, okay, you know what? I need to stop apologizing. I need to try and be a little proactive. Like, how am I going to fix it? And uh, the futon thing has actually helped a lot. And it also helped that um, he saw for a while, I was actually in getting increased amount of night tears when I would sleep on the futon. So one night he offered me, he's like, Hey, for the next few nights, do you want to just sleep on the bed? Because we were kind of wondering if the fact that I was in a new environment was causing such a stir because basically when I stay in new places, like anytime I go to a hotel, which is probably why my best friend seen so many night tears. When I go to a new place, um, that's where night tears, they happen right away. Um, and I think it's just new surroundings. I don't know where I am. Something is a little bit off. Something's different. And so it kind of spurs them to happen. He offered for me to sleep on the bed for a few nights. And he realized that the futon's actually really good for his back. So I now sleep in the bedroom and he sleeps um, on the futon. Uh, so. I, I just read an article that a lot of people have trouble sleeping in hotels. And it's because you're survival instinct is kicking in because you're in a different environment. You're in a strange place. And uh, when I used to travel a lot for work, I would bring my Ambien or my Valerian Rooter with with me because that first night at the hotel, I'd be staying there for like a week. Mm-hmm. I knew that first night I wasn't going to get any sleep unless I drugged myself to sleep. What is the Valerian root? Is that what it's called? It's it's actually a root. It's all natural and um, you can buy it in pill form. You have to take it several hours before you're going to bed. You can't just take it at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. It does not <laughs> knock you out, but it will keep you asleep and mm. it doesn't really make you feel groggy in the morning. But if you're having trouble sleeping, 
it, it's not going to help you. You know, if your mind is racing, valerian root's not going to be the the solution. But if you're just no, anxiety meds will do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but if you're just having trouble sleeping or trouble falling asleep, if you take valerian root a few hours before, it, mm-hmm. it can help. And it's an all natural, you know, remedy for it. And it's actually a root from the valerian plant, so that's why it's called that. I'll have to look into that. So I slept with the, we usually sleep with the door closed. And one night my boyfriend was like, let's sleep with the door open. Uh, it help with um, air circulation. It was just getting hot in the room. And I was like, okay. But in my mind, I was like, I wonder if we should sleep with the door open. Cause that's going to be different. And I don't do well with different. And that night I had a night tear and I said, there's a portal. The portal is open. And he's like, what the hell is she talking about? And I can see the like light from the bathroom from all the way across the hall. And I thought it was like a portal to another place or something. The other dimension. Yeah. Cause that totally makes sense. So now I like, anytime we go to bed, I'm like, don't forget to close the portal door. You know, I don't like that. <laughs> But um, I do take medicine. I started taking this medicine again. And like it was like kind of like what you were saying, where you have to take it a certain amount of time before bed. So a few years ago, they gave me the clonopin, the clonazepam, whatever we're calling it. Yeah. And I, the directions were you have to take it 30 to 40 minutes before you go to bed. But I don't know if it was just over time, I stopped forgetting what I'm supposed to do. And I started taking it right before bed. So like recently I started thinking about it because we had, I'd had like an increase in, in, in night tears when I would take clonopin. And my boyfriend's like, you just need to stop taking it because every time you take it, you get a night tear. I'm like, that's so weird. And recently I read a book and it said you have to take it 30 to 40 minutes before you go to bed. And I'm sitting here like, wait, is that what I screwed up? Is that why I started getting an increase? And so over the past three nights, I've been taking it 30 to 40 minutes before bed, and I've been sleeping like a baby, no lines at all on my Fitbit. And then last night, I I was so tired, I didn't have time to take it. And I noticed, though, I had like those little awake lines, like four or five of them across my Fitbit. And it wasn't a night tear, but it's like one of those things where I just, I can't just stay asleep. There's those little jolts in my brain that just keep want to go, keep wanting to go. Uh-huh. I don't know. As much as I wasn't a believer in a Fitbit before, now I'm kind of interested to get one and see how I sleep. <laughs> Do you want a scary Ambien story? Yes. <laughs> um, I've been taking Ambien for many years and not every night, just when I know I need it. I've never had a problem except one time I went to Seattle and it happened to be right when the Seahawks had won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So the streets were packed with people and, and it was my first night at the hotel and the hotel was downtown. I was ironing my shirts for work the next day and I took an Ambien because I knew you have... People argue about when you should take it. Some people say you take it and you lay down immediately. Well, I press the the rules there a little bit. Sometimes I'll take it and I'll continue doing stuff and then I'll go lay down. Well, this night I was ironing my shirt and I sat down and I started unbuttoning the other shirt that I was wearing. And about 40 minutes later, I kind of jerked awake and I was sitting there with a half unbuttoned shirt on and the iron on the ironing board. (laughs) Now the iron was upright. I didn't kick it over or anything. I just knotted out in the middle of ironing a shirt and taking off my own shirt. 
So now whenever I take it, I make sure that I'm at least laying down in bed. I could be reading a book. I could be doing something, but I'm not, say, working machinery or ironing clothes or anything that is dangerous. Um, But that's the only time I ever had a scary moment. All the other times I'm always just, I just fall asleep. I don't sleepwalk. I don't do anything weird. I I honestly didn't start going to a, like looking into sleep doctors and things like that until things got scary. I had, I like went through a move where me and a roommate, we moved out and it wasn't on like great terms. And I had to, I moved into my own one bedroom apartment and I'd never lived by myself before. Mm -hmm. And one night I like woke up in the middle of the sleep and I had, um, I like slipped on the floor and I got this huge bruise on my leg. I'm like, oh, that's not good. And then the next night I had another one and I was, I woke up in the middle of me trying to open up a window and I said, okay, opening windows, not going to work. Need to go to a doctor. Cause, cause if you've ever seen like, um, have you heard of, um, Berbiglia? He's like a comedian. He does sleepwalk with me. Uh, Yeah. Mike Berbiglia. That's it. He um, has jumped out hotel windows. He sleeps like in a sleeping bag, zipped up, like to make sure he doesn't like, you know, hurt himself. And so once I was doing things that were out of the ordinary, I was like, okay, time to go to a doctor. And I had an incident since I moved into my the place that I live now, like a year ago, where, and usually my boyfriend, he tries, he usually catches me before I do something really bad, or at least like when we slept in the same room, he would sometimes catch me like as I was about to jump in bed, out of bed and say, no, Erica, go back to bed. I love you. Go back to bed. You're safe. You're okay. But he said one night he didn't catch me and all of a sudden he heard this big thud and I had jumped from like the bed to the dresser and I had slammed into the dresser and I had like a really god awful bruise on my arm. He was like, okay, I'm really afraid now. We're going to close the door anytime we go to bed because I don't want you to go and fall down the stairs. So Were, were you so, jumping from one cliff to another that night? or I, Heck if I know. I told you it's not related to dreams. Just me being crazy all on my own. Just some random imagery. So I'm not sure what I think I was doing, but I didn't make it, needless to say. So That's terrible. But anyone who like suffers from something like this should go and see doctors. They're not always the most helpful, but I mean, they can be. Like this guy did give me some good suggestions. He's not a big medication person because I asked him a little bit about um, like antidepressants because I've heard that if clonopin doesn't work, maybe you should look into antidepressants. And he was very much like, this isn't a big deal. He's like, this is very, you know, he basically made it seem like this is not a big ailment and it doesn't affect your life that much. And I'm sitting here like, dude, I don't want to get dumped. I like to continue in my relationship. I'd like to go to sleep for a full night. Um, I think this is a pretty big deal. Maybe it's not a big deal for you, but it's a big deal for me. I think that was his attempt at trying to make you feel more comfortable with it or something but yeah he he doesn't understand the caliber of the situation yeah and i guess you wouldn't if you if you don't have night terrors yourself or someone you sleep with doesn't have them i guess i could see that would not bother you (laughs) now i know that you you said that now you sleep in the bed and your boyfriend sleeps on the futon Mm -hmm. Um, but you had bought that futon in anticipation of sleeping on it you bought a futon, you didn't buy another bed. So was that sort of a, a half foot in, half foot out sort of attempt to 
why why yes. didn't you just buy a whole bed? <laughs> yeah, that's actually exactly what it was, was me kind of like testing it to see, is this going to work? Um, is this going to help us? Because if that was the big issue in our relationship, I wanted to see if that's going to help. That was definitely me half foot, half out. And so, I mean, I still think like, you know, I want to give it a little bit more time, but I think eventually we're just going to buy a new bed. But it is a really small room, so you can't fit a queen size bed in it. I feel like honestly, our sleep would have been a lot different if we were able to fit a king size bed in our main bedroom in the first place. I feel like we might still be able to sleep in the same bed, mm -hmm. but where we are right now, I'm, I'm happy that we're sleeping in a different room. I actually do think that, and I don't think a lot of people would like to admit it, but I think most people would probably sleep better by themselves than with someone else. Just in general, you get more room, you get more space. You don't have to feel guilty every time you cough or when you're sick and you're sneezing everywhere. If this is your biggest problem or your only problem in the relationship, you have a really good relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I think like we're going to be okay. And then we're just, you know, going to buckle down and get him in bed and we'll both be really comfortable. I actually feel like more relieved that, that I got to sleep in the bedroom and I think part of it's that every time I went to the futon room, I felt like, oh, like it was just kind of like purgatory sort of like, oh, this is where you go. You're being bad, but you're not being horrible. And so when he started sleeping in the other room, I'm like, oh, like he still loves me. He wants me to have like the bed and be comfortable and, and he's okay with that. And so that kind of made me feel better too. There's moments where I'm like, why don't you understand? And why do you always make this just my problem? But then, you know, I, I remember that, you know, he's the one who is every night saying, it's okay, I love you, you need to go back to bed. And he's had to hold me numerous times and try and calm me down numerous times when I'm, you know, spasming out over a spider, a wall, um, somebody might be in the room. I'm sure he does a great job and he's not mad at you, yeah. <laughs> you know, and just keep reminding yourself of that Yeah, and don't apologize. Uh, <laughs> I've definitely cried wolf enough though, that I am pretty sure if I'm assaulted, murdered, slaughtered in the middle of the night and I'm screaming for help, no one will come for me. Oh, no. <laughs> oh I'm done. <laughs> if there is actually somebody hiding in the closet one night, and no one will believe me. Well, <laughs> Not see, one soul. This would be the perfect intro to a, a like a poltergeist horror movie where you're seeing ghosts, but no one believes you because you suffer from night terrors, but oh, they're yeah. really there. Have you heard of any have you heard of the like night terror murder before? Because I've read and like seen um like a really good I, I wanna say it was like forensic files. I've also seen like a dateline on it where somebody um claims to have murdered his wife while he was having a night tear and sleepwalking. Oh, wow. And so he comes to and his wife's dead and he calls the police and- Of course not, no. He um, he drowned her in the, in the pool in the backyard and the neighbor sees him drowning her. And so later, like when they come, like after they discover her body and stuff, he has like no recollection and the neighbor is like insisting, no, he drowned her in that pool. He kept holding her head underwater. And so they like did more and more digging and the family son and the daughter had said, oh no, yes, he has night tears. He suffers that. That must have been what it was. And he thought that he was petting the dog or something like that in the backyard. 
and they had a lot of sleep specialists come and talk about like, what is someone who is sleepwalking? What are they able to do while they're having like, while they're having like one of their incidents and like they ended up figuring out this guy just killed his wife and they, he definitely got, I'm pretty sure fair justice. I think he was basically using it as an excuse because the things that he was able to do while he was asleep, normal sleepwalkers and normal like sleepers, normal sleepwalkers or people who are having like a parasomnia would not be able to do. Like, I, I don't know exactly what I can do as like someone who's in the middle of a night tear, but like, I don't think I could go to the bathroom and like wash my hands and go back to bed or like actually perform any real tasks. But And have, I mean, has your boyfriend ever jerked you awake or tried to wake you up or, or grabbed a hold of you? I mean, it, to me, if, if this guy's got his wife in the swimming pool, she's fighting. And I would just assume that he would maybe come to at some point during this whole altercation. And right. When I'm in the middle of having a night tear and I'm jump trying to jump out of bed, Brian pulls me back into bed and he says, you're okay, go back to bed. And there are times where I will snap out of it. So I, I don't think that you can commit murder while someone is fighting it and really not wake up. Because if there's any kind of big movement of even just for myself, um, I'll, I'll kind of catch myself. So like when I fall, I know all of a sudden I'll like wake up a little bit and say, wait a second, something's wrong. So yeah, I don't think that um, a murder like that, um, I don't think it can happen when you're having a night tear. But I'm also not exactly sure what I can do. I kind of really wish someone would record me, to be quite honest. I really wish someone could tape this so I can kind of see what it looks like and what it sounds like. Because I actually have camera. no idea. Just set up a camera to record yourself one night. Yeah. It helps when there's someone else in bed. I feel like there's more action. I feel like when I'm having my own night tear, I'm not sure how, how much I'm sure it's, maybe it's just as exciting. Who knows? It's just a quiet excitement. <laughs> like I had one last week, I think. And Brian came into the room and he's like, yeah, last night, how'd you sleep? Usually if he asked me how I sleep, I already know I had one. <laughs> so I'll be like, I slept pretty good. He goes, did you, did you sleep pretty good? And so I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, I went to the bathroom at like three in the morning and your light was on. I thought that was pretty weird. So I went into the room and I said, Erica, why is the light on? And you told me the light's not on. I like to be very contrary. No, it's not. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, it is. So I turned the light on and that's like an indicator that I had a night tear. I used to do that a lot when I first started having them. Every time I'd have a night tear, I would wake up and the light was on. I'm like, oh. Okay, that's different. <laughs> if you had a night terror and you rolled over and strangled your spouse to death, maybe, but I don't I just couldn't see you dragging them down to the backyard into the pool and holding them underwater or if you're in bed and you happen to have say, I don't know, a letter opener on the nightstand and you grabbed a hold of it and started slashing around i could see something very un uncoordinated yes uncoordinated (laughs) i completely agree i feel like it would be very uncoordinated i had an ex-boyfriend once when i was having a night tear who i guess decided to like mess with me and i'm in the middle of having a night tear and he looked at me and he goes erica go downstairs and make me some bagel bites. 
And I started to get up and like walk downstairs and he like grabbed me. He's like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And in my head, I'm like, I wish he had followed me and see if I could actually make bagel bites in my sleep. Could I do it? Am I coordinated enough? Could I turn the oven on or would I just like stick it in without like anything? I'm just curious if I could have done it. Exactly. But he wouldn't want to see you crash down the stairs. He wouldn't want to see you burn yourself. He, you know, I mean, there's... And that's the weird thing, though, about night terrors is that I will look to anyone who sees me, I will look 100% awake. I look totally normal. I'll maybe, like, look a little bit like I'm in a daze, but I just look, like, completely like I'm awake. My eyes are open. I'm talking. I will argue and I'll say, no, I'm not having a night terror. One time my best friend, she, 12, so she can, like, kind of push me around a little bit and, like... And, you know, it's just kind of our relationship. She's kind of aggressive and I'll like joke back. But in general, like neither of us would say anything terrible to each other. Mm-hmm. And one night I was having a night tear and she looked at me and I remember I was like laying, I think we were at a friend's house and I was sleeping on the air mattress and she was sleeping on the bed. And she like, I started having a night tear and she goes, Erica, shut the fuck up. And I remember I like... She, like, the next morning told me, she goes, Erica, I told you to shut the fuck up, and you looked directly in my eyes, and you stared at me, and you said, no, you shut the fuck up. (laughs) And she's like, I shut up. I was like, "Mm, I'm done. (laughs) So, in general, I'm not that of the aggressive type with her, and, like, all of a sudden, she's like, whoa. It's sort of funny that you are, when, when you're in this state... You, mm-hmm. you are more contrary. You are more aggressive. It's almost like another personality. Yeah. I always wonder about the superhero aspect of my night tears too. Like, why am I always trying to rescue people? I've kind of like tried looking into that and I don't know if there's something to that. I, I think it's kind of cool. I mean, it's just analyzing it on, on paper, you know, I mean, it's probably not cool having it or suffering from it, but mm-hmm. to to be the rescuer and to actually not that you should be a jerk in real life, but to be contrary is kind of, kind of interesting, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I... yeah. (laughs) I told my students about um, me getting interviewed for this. They're in third grade, so they have no concept. I'm like, Oh yeah. Have you heard of a podcast? They're like, Oh yeah. They like, they know what podcasts are, but I like kind of like they've, I think I've told them before, though, that I have night terrors. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm, like, probably way too open about things like that. But I mentioned night terrors the other day. And, like, you know, six or seven kids do the connection sign with me. Like, that's, like, a teacher thing. It kind of looks like Aloha, sort of. Uh Six kids, like, making the connection sign, like, yeah, I get night terrors, too. And what's funny is I have this one student who raised his hand. He's like... I don't have that, but sometimes when I'm asleep, like, I can't move. Like, I'm awake and I can't move. And I'm sitting here like, sleep paralysis. (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting how, like, even, like, with little people, they can get, you know, have, like, these little sleep things. He's like, is there a way to fix that? Because I had told the kids, like, mostly, like, with night terrors, they go away as they get older. He's like, what about with sleep paralysis? Does that go away? And I'm sitting here looking at him like, "Mm." I don't know. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. In, in fact, sleep paralysis is one of those things where the more you talk about it, the more you have it. And it's kind of scary that way. And mm-hmm. Is it an infection or just like a realization? I don't know. 
my my friend Lauren Marie, we were talking about night terrors and like she's known I have them for a long time. And she's like recently started telling me more and more stories about things she's doing in her sleep. And I'm I, I like started quoting the book to her. She's like, Oh, oh. And I think I think all of a sudden it's kind of dawned on her. Mm, that's what I have. I have night terrors. Yeah. But she she some people just call it like, oh, sleepwalking and yeah, and that's the thing is sleepwalking, I guess maybe we've been calling it the wrong thing this whole time. Um, sleepwalking happens um, during REM, I think. Okay. Yeah, so night tears can involve walking around, but it happens when you are in your non-REM sleep. That in-between time. Yeah, exactly. If I oversleep or if I'm just, you know, if I'm just being lazy and trying to sleep in, I will start having nightmares just repeatedly. Every time I get back to sleep, it'll go right into a nightmare uh, and kick me out of sleep. If I always just relayed that to I'm out of my normal sleep cycle. I'm trying to force more sleep than I need or I'm out of sleep, whatever. And that's the only time I ever have nightmares is when I'm kind of outside of my sleep cycle. So. So I like was reading that book and they were talking about the difference between nightmares and night terrors and things like that. And it said that like, and I'm not going to, I don't want to offend you or anything, but they said that people who have nightmares, it actually is more of an indicator of mental instability or like anxiety and things like that. Those are more of an indicator, which I thought was kind of interesting. I was like, really? I thought I was the mess up (laughs) (laughs) because I actually don't have a lot of nightmares or even like dreams that I remember much of. Mm. I tend to have monotonous, really boring dreams. I like did lesson planning for two hours of my dream and it's like, what? I went to the grocery store. Lean Cuisine's on sale. These are my dreams. (laughs) If I if I have a repetitive job, like whether it be washing dishes or filing something in filing cabinets, whatever, if I'm doing something very repetitive during my day, I will absolutely have a dream of just doing that in my at night. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, it really is. And I, I always thought of dreams as just sort of trying to decompile all the crap you dealt with during the day. Um, but when I have nightmares... Typically, I don't wake up that afraid. Uh, typically, I wake up and I'm kind of like, hey, that was way more interesting than what I normally dream about. And I'm kind of exhilarated <laughs> and happy about it. Uh, but I don't. This is better than the prison I put myself in last night. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> like, And I, I don't know. I, I don't put a lot of stock in dreams or nightmares as far as meanings go, just because mm-hmm. I kept the dream journal for a while. And I had some of the most whacked out weird stuff that I wrote down. This doesn't mean I'm gay. This doesn't mean I'm, you know, a Satan worshiper. This doesn't mean I'm anything. You know, it's just weird, weird dreams. I'm like, I don't think they mean a whole lot. I think it's just your brain trying to work through your daily events. And that's all I think about. I don't put that much more stock into them. So. I went to a holistic doctor and she gave me a very interesting perspective on night terrors. Uh-oh. And I looked, I remember I like, after I had this conversation with her, I went home and I was like, I don't think I'll be returning to this woman. But, um, when I had first started dating my boyfriend, my night terrors went down a lot, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. I'm like, Hmm, was I just really stressed about not having a boyfriend? And then I got one and now I'm just not having night terrors. 
And so because they had like all of a sudden just kind of gone away. And so I remember I asked the holistic lady. She had like I think I went there for like issues I was having with like my stomach and she started asking me questions and I told her I have these night tears and she t proceeded to tell me that um, my night tears are post-traumatic stress syndrome. I have PTSD from when my mother used to drink. And I was like, what are you talking about? So both of my parents are recovering alcoholics. And she said, well, yes, but when your mom had you, she quit drinking. And so because she quit drinking, that caused stress on the womb. And that is why when you're with your boyfriend, you feel less stressed because you feel coddled like a baby. Yeah. That's kind of stretching. <laughs> and I like went home and told Brian, I was like, so apparently you make me feel coddled like a baby. He's like, <laughs> I know people say, oh, you know, you remember your own birth. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. It's deep in there, Justin. You just haven't, you just haven't remembered it yet. Yeah. I have pondered if my night tears started at a certain age over something though. I have thought about that because it happened at 21 and it happened at the time where I was like ending a friendship. I had a really good friend and she had just proven to be a really crappy friend. And so I went through a like basically a friendship breakup. Yeah. And that's around the time my night tears started. So I kind of always wondered if that's what spurred it on. Maybe not, though. I mean, I also did a lot of talking when I was a child, too. My best friend remembers, like, incidents where I would, like, kind of startle and wake up in high school. So I think it just – I think I'm just predisposed from what I've read. Like, you could just be predisposed for it. And if you're not – if you don't have good sleep hygiene, then that's just what can happen. I think that you could have just been having very mild forms of it as, you know, growing up. Yeah. But then absolutely something could have thrown it over the edge. I know I've I've lost a few friends and I have dreams about them all the time, which is weird because I don't dream about my current set of friends. I dream about mm -hmm. friends that I haven't spoken to in a decade. <laughs> but I don't know. It's it's kind of odd. And I don't really reflect on it that much. Maybe I should, but maybe that's – maybe if you really sat down and, and – started writing down all your dreams, keeping that dream journal or, you know, mm -hmm. your Fitbit's an excellent thing. I mean, and again, I, I keep saying dreams and I know that night terrors yeah. are not dreams. So I'm trying to get that out of my vocabulary. Right now. <laughs> but like logging what, ha what's happening. Yeah. I actually wrote down some, keep them in my notes section. And when you like read over past night terrors, like they're kind of hysterical sounding. Like, I wrote them down for this, uh, okay. for this podcast. So August 2012, saw a hand with masking tape behind bed. Okay. <laughs> August 2012, see cockroach holding round one sign. You know, in wrestling matches. Yeah, yeah, like a boxing or wrestling match. Okay. Like I know I was having car. I had cockroaches in my apartment around that month, and so I think it was just like absorbed in my like thinking. And then 2014, cat night terror. Don't know. And then in 2014, saving prisoners. And then I broke a glass that night by accident trying to rescue the prisoners from the prison. So Brian really appreciated that. To the sound of breaking glass. And like I'm always so out of it that he sat there and like got a broom and had to like sweep it up. And I'm like sitting here like, what happened? What's going on? Why is the glass broken? 
did you get up and and get a glass and break it or was the glass close by it was next to my bed i'm not allowed to have glasses next to the bed anymore (laughs) no sharp objects (laughs) nope i have i have always purposefully left scissors out of the room because i'm always afraid i'm like gonna cut my own hair or something so certain things aren't allowed and that's that I like my hair. I don't want to cut it. No, no. I mean, it's funny that you're like, I don't want to cut my hair. And I'm like, I hope you don't fall on the scissors or cut yourself open with the scissors. But you're like, I don't want to cut all my hair off. That would be terrible. Yeah, I went with the vein part. (laughs) (laughs) We could have gone so much further with it. Yes. And I already am aware, like, it's going to be hard to use that as an argument in the court case, too. So... You already got it planned out. See, and you guys should think about that for one of your podcasts. I've definitely offered some ideas on Facebook. That's my new suggestion. Yes. Thank you, Erica, so much for coming on. On the next episode, we're going to be sharing some ghost stories. Stay tuned. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.